I was, I think I was at Starbucks, and I was getting a coffee. I came outside, and there were these two girls, and, and, and they were trying to figure out something was wrong with their car. And I asked them if they needed help, and they said, yeah, well, you know, we have a flat tire. I said, great, uh, you know, I can help you. It was kind of like lightly raining at the moment, and I thought I can help. And so I went around to the back of the car, and I said, all right, well, let's find the the jack and the spare tire and everything. So we open up the trunk, and there's no spare for some reason. Or the spare was flat or something. I forget. But whatever it was, there wasn't anything there that I could use. So I I think I took the tire off, and I went across the street to a mechanic, and I said, look, I need you to blow this tire up or fix it or plug it. Whatever it was, it was wrong with it. And so like an hour has gone by at that point. I go over there. They're like, we can't just do it in a hurry. I'm like, well, I need you to. This is all they've got. They need to go back to Philly or whatever. So I go there, I wait there, I get the tire, I bring it back. Now I'm like covered in filth at this point. Now it's pouring. And I'm like, what a good guy I am. I'm so helpful. Like I'm feeling good about myself. I put the tire on, you know, left rear tire. Put it on, get everything going, lower the car back down. They're like, oh, thanks so much. I'm like, great, that's great. I go to put everything back in the trunk and I realize the right rear tire is also flat. (laughs) I don't know what these girls did. I don't know what had happened, but they flattened the left tire and the right tire, and I had only fixed the left-hand tire. And I was like, listen, I'm out. I can't do anything, like, I can't do anything else. I got a meeting I'm supposed to be at. And so I had to leave them there with their car. So here's the point. I had taken all this time and all this effort and was successful in changing the left rear tire. But the car was still not roadworthy. That car itself was not successful, right? It was, it was not where it needed to be. And I had done great in executing all of this, but it wasn't where it needed to be. And it was unsuccessful in the end. So what we're doing here today in starting you know, weekly worship gatherings could end up very similarly if we're not careful to define what success is right now. And I've talked a good bit about this with our team uh, but I want to remind us of, of who we are again today, because we could do a whole lot. We could sweat, cry, pour a ton of effort into a, a place. We could get people to come, and all these things could happen, and could still miss the mark. So what is success for us as a congregation? What is success for what I would say the local church? Is it lots of people joining? Is it a good social media presence? Is it big events? Is it programs? Is it nightly events, I, I don't know. But what I would argue, though, is that success for the local congregation is being faithful to the success of Jesus' death and resurrection. Success is being faithful to Jesus' success, the gospel. That's it. Faithful to what the Apostle Peter discovered, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and on that truth, Jesus builds his church. Not us. Jesus is the one who makes his church successful. He will build it. We don't need to make the church successful. It has already been declared a success when Jesus, or when it's built on the gospel. So we simply exist, at least at this congregation, we exist to live out the gospel and the kingdom and to invite each other on a regular basis, one another in the congregation, and those out in the community further into the kingdom. It's for us and it's for the world. We gather here to do it today. We, we gather on weekly services to do it. We gather in community groups to live out the gospel in the kingdom, and we go on mission. We are live on mission to invite people into it. So how do we do that, right? How do we maintain faithfulness to the gospel? If that's what success is. How do we do that? And I would say that there's two ways. One is by our values as part of 
Hope Alliance, the bigger church, the kind of the four guiding values. You can find them on the website if you want to, but you're experiencing them right now. I can tell you that much. Um, but the other ones, I would say, are the values that we set out for ourselves as a core team and the values that I kind of generated after we had been here for a little while based on context, the context of where we find ourselves, and on what I see in the Apostle Paul's teaching in the New Testament on what the local church should look like. So we're going to work through our core values. All right, I'm going to try to do it quickly, and I think it's pertinent to our core team, but I think it's also appropriate for other church members, whether you're from another church or not, to to grasp these, to understand these, because I think they're important. I think Paul did them for a reason. So the first value that I think helps us stick to the mission of the gospel and the kingdom is to keep it simple, okay? Simplicity, simply Jesus. We live in an increasingly busy and exhausting and demanding culture, one that clamors for our attention, our devotion, our time, our money, our efforts, our kids, our hobbies, constantly clamoring for all of our lives. So in my mind, designing a church to try and keep up with that or to compete with that is bonkers. We're just not going to do it. It's not who we are called to be, and I don't think it's what Paul would do. Jesus said, be yoked to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come to me, and I will give you more to do. He didn't say, come to me, and I'll keep you entertained five nights a week with church stuff. He said, come to me and find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, there is still a burden. It's called being yoked to Jesus and the gospel. So, what I say is that we want the burden of the gospel without the busyness of church. Does that make sense? We want the burden of the gospel being yoked to Jesus without the busyness of church. Furthermore, team, we need to remember this. We are not called to be fancy or a show. Like, look around. This is as fancy as we might ever be, I think. Um, no offense to the why. Like, it's just, we've done our best. But you know what I'm saying? We're not about to be a show or, or to be fancy. Paul says that we don't need to be ashamed of the simple gospel. In Romans 1, he says that, right? He says, uh, you know, he's not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The, the gospel is what is powerful. The simple gospel speaks for itself. We don't need to be ashamed when we see other churches doing other things. We don't need to try to compete with the world and keep up with them. We just need to keep our eyes on Jesus and the gospel and stop worrying about what other churches are doing, other organizations, other things of the world. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 2, I don't know if you remember this, but he's talking about what he came to the Corinthian church to bring. And he says, when I came here, there were religious Jews who wanted me to perform miracles. And there were Greeks, I would say the people of the world, who wanted something that looked like their world, philosophy, great wisdom. Church, the religious types were trying to get Paul to prove that he was godly, by doing godly-looking things and all these great extraneous things to the gospel. That's going to happen to us. It already has happened. Religious types will try to get us to prove that we're of God when they see us living in the freedom and simplicity of the gospel. Or the world will say, hey, why don't you give us something that looks fancy? Give us something that looks great. Give us something that can compete with, with what we're doing and what we're up to. And Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's that simple. 
I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but with a demonstration of what? The Spirit's power. It wasn't the world's stuff. It wasn't all these godly miracles. It was the Spirit at work. He says, I did this so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This isn't about what we do, all these great things that we do to try to get people to come to church. It's about living out simply Jesus and, and letting the Spirit do his work. So friends from my Nazareth team and friends from abroad, know this. Your unbusy life and your simple words are a success if they're centered on the gospel and inviting others into it. The gates of hell will not prevail against that. Your life is actually advancing the mission of Jesus by not being tied up with a ton of church stuff and trusting the Spirit to display God, not your fancy words. Because we're not all evangelists that have great eloquence. Even Paul says, I don't have that. Just go and live a simple life and speak Jesus in what you do. So our first value is that we will be simple. Secondly, we will stick to the mission as a church by being a team. One of the things that is so endearing to me about Paul is that he was constantly empowering other people. If you remember his life, he empowers Timothy, Titus, even Apollos, who other people were trying to get him to compete with. He empowers him. He empowers Priscilla and Aquila and says, go, be leaders in the church. Use your gift. Use your gifts to honor Jesus. He wasn't shaken or intimidated by their giftedness. He saw that they were all on the same team, Jesus' team, to make him known. So he empowers a team, which is what we're trying to do here. And it wasn't just about empowering leaders. It was empowering the whole church. The whole church, Paul says. Every member of the church is gifted by God, by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, we see Paul say this over and over again, that Christ is being made known on earth through a team of people, through the body of Jesus, of whom he is the head. Paul says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Listen for the Trinity in this, okay? There's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. He's saying even in the Trinity, there's this this teamwork that's happening. Now, to each person, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. It's given for the sake of the body. And that common good, that team is bound together. Do you remember? That's in 1 Corinthians 12. What happens in 1 Corinthians 13? What's it bound together by? Love. Love. Paul's great treatise on love in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen. It directly follows a passage about teamwork. This whole, this, this, 1 Corinthians 13 is not just for like to read at your cousin's wedding. Okay? Like it is meant to be part of the greater letter that Paul's writing. It's saying you are called to be a united body. Love holds you together. Love never fails, he says. So be bound together by the love of Jesus. And we're bound together by that as a team, by Christ's love and his humility, knowing that our love and our teamwork, the success of Jesus, by those the success of Jesus will be made known and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I just need to say something here that's like in my gut and in my makeup of who I am. The local church is not just the senior pastor. And the senior pastor is not a CEO not the only one with vision, not the only teacher, not the only shepherd, not the only one with wisdom, and not the only one that hears from the Lord. I understand that, listen, I understand that every family group, 
even a congregation, I understand there needs to be a leader. But in this moment and in this time, I'm not a CEO or a president of a company. I'm a fellow member of the body of Christ here at work in Nazareth. My hope is that we will, by the, the will and the plan and the energy of Jesus, be raising up more and more people that understand their gifting, that know how they are called to serve Jesus on the team. Whether it's at this church or another church, I don't care. We're raising people up to send them out on mission to make Jesus known because it is bigger than just me. It's bigger than just us. It's all of us together being the body of Christ with him as the head. And in my opinion, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that kind of humility that comes from knowing Jesus is the successful one, not us. Jesus is the successful one. The rest of us are simply followers on his team together. So we want to be simple. We want to be team. Thirdly, we want to stick to the mission of the gospel by being authentic in our relationships. We want to be real with one another in the church community and in the world outside. However you want to say that. In your daily happenings, not just on Sundays, but with the rest of the world around us in Nazareth. So here's what I mean. Can we just admit that we're a mess? Can we just admit that we are broken? Can we just admit that we all need transformation, every single one of us, and stop pretending? And listen, this is not something I'm making up. The Apostle Paul says this over and over again in different ways. He says, I'm a mess. He says it uh, to Timothy. You remember this? He says, Timothy, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. He's writing to his protege to say, I'm a mess. Thank God for Jesus saving me. To the Corinthian church, a church that was totally off the rails and probably deserved to be exhorted with lots of finger wagging, Paul says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. I'm a murderer of the church. He's admitting again that he is a weak, broken, in need of transformation human being like the rest of us. Or in Romans 7, one of my favorite couple chapters in all of Scripture, Romans 7, he says this, I know what I should do and I can't do it. I know what I want to do, and I can't. Uh, My mind and my heart are for Jesus this way, and my body fights me this direction, and they're constantly at war. Who will save me from this mess that I am? He says, Jesus will. Praise God for the gospel. Do Do you hear his authenticity, his vulnerability, his realness? Friends, we declare the success of Jesus and the gospel by being authentic in our relationships with one another, by being honest about who we are inside and outside the church. We don't have to prove that we have it all together or that we're righteous. Jesus has already been proven to be the righteous one through his resurrection. The proving is over. It's been done on our behalf. Uh, I shared this last week at Bethlehem, and and it just keeps resonating with me. Uh, Jesse, a member of our core team, I'm going to paraphrase this. He knows what he said, but I'm going to paraphrase it. he was sharing with us about kind of what he has found to be interesting or special about what we're doing here. And he said, you know, when I've gone to other churches, they've told me, you're a mess. Now clean it up so you can be part of our church. But here, this is Jesse's words, not mine. Here we say, I'm a mess. You're a mess. We're all a mess. Let's walk through the mess together in the gospel. Friends, Authenticity like that advances the gospel. Religious performance inhibits it. All right, hear me again. 
Authenticity advances the gospel. Religious performance inhibits it. Admitting you've got issues, baggage, shame, hurt, bitterness, sin, leads to gospel advancement in your life and the life of others when when it is confronted with the freedom of the gospel. But religious performance, acting like you've got it all together, hiding your issues and baggage, inhibits the gospel every time. You can memorize as much scripture as you want, go to great conferences, go to Catalyst, learn from Andy Stanley how to be a great leader, listen to sermons. If you're not bringing your mess to the forefront and letting the gospel influence it, it doesn't matter. It's religious performance, and it doesn't truly transform us. So we want to be a church that's based in authenticity, allowing the gospel to come to bear over and over again in our conversations with one another and in the community. Jesus is the successful one, not us. And there's freedom in knowing that. I'm free to be authentic and admit that I fail. We all can be. And it's that understanding the gospel that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Fourth, because this is where it fits in the acronym, is gospel-centeredness. So obviously it's been through everything I've talked about and it's all about simply Jesus. But I wanted to make this one of our core values. It needed to be there. We will stick to the mission by being gospel-centered. Our Sunday gatherings will be a place for gospel celebration. This is, this is for proclaiming the gospel to one another, reminding each other week in and week out that, yeah, you're not alone in pursuing transformation through the gospel. Our community groups, our kind of small groups that meet during the week, are for helping one another walk in the freedom of the gospel, caring for one another, building one another up to be walking in the gospel. And then our mission outside of here, the training of people, the sending of people, the, the telling of others about the gospel that all of us are called to, is to make the gospel known here and around the world. The gospel will take priority and be the grid through which everything is run. Hear me again. The gospel will be the grid through which everything is run. Through elder meetings, through leadership team meetings, through our core team meetings, through what we do on Sunday mornings, what songs we sing, what sermons we preach, on and on. So we want everything to be about the gospel. We will preach messages that consistently point to Jesus as the hero. Every week we're going to try to land and come back to the gospel as the successful thing. We will avoid self-righteous, do more, do better, you should have, could have, would have religious hype preaching, and instead point to grace-motivated obedience, which is a term you're going to hear me say regularly, grace-motivated obedience. We now get to live a certain way because of God's grace, understanding that because God has adopted us into his family as sons and daughters, we get to live as children of the king. We will welcome in friends and church family alike to our community groups with grace, remembering that we're all on this gospel journey together, that we're all a mess, that none of us has it 100% right 100% of the time. Only Jesus has that track record. Our community groups will be about good news, not good advice, which there's a big difference between those two things. Announcing good news that someone is victorious is a lot different than telling somebody what they should do with good advice. Here's what I mean. I don't know if you know this, but the word gospel literally means good news. And so when I say gospel, I'm talking about this pronouncement of good news. And in the days of Roman conquests, when the New Testament was written, when, when the Romans would be out and fight a battle far away from home, it wasn't like they had Twitter and they could just announce it and everyone would know immediately. They would send someone back ahead of the army, an evangelian, an evangelist, would go back to the cities and announce the gospel would announce the good news that the army had won. 
and that the emperor was victorious. And, and they would even go so far as to call the emperor Lord. So here's our gospel, church. Here's our good news. Jesus has won the battle by his death on the cross on our behalf. The atonement has been made for our sins, past, present, and future. All of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our running and our hiding and our religious posturing, it's washed away by the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf and in our place. We are freed not only from the penalty of sin, but we're freed from having to live in sin, and now we get to live in the victory of Jesus, his success. He is Lord. Jesus was proven to be victorious, successful, and the world's true Lord because of his resurrection by God. Everything he has said, all the miracles he performed, all the promises he made were declared true when he was raised from the dead by God, by the Spirit, and he's declared the world's true Lord. Not the emperor, not Rome, not any political party, not the United States, not any of those things. None of those things are Lord. Only Jesus is declared victorious and the Lord by his resurrection. So now we get to invite others into that gospel freedom. We now get to live full lives, being transformed from glory to glory, as Paul says, with unveiled faces looking into the radiant face of God, the loving face of a father who loves his children and draws them into himself. We're new covenant people because the old covenant has been fulfilled by Jesus in his death and resurrection. He lived a sinless life but was murdered on a cross by the religious and by the world, ultimately by our sin as well. We will celebrate that gospel week in and week out through songs, poems, art, gathering together, sermons, liturgy, community groups, elder meetings, social media, whatever it is, we will celebrate the gospel over and over and over again in our lives every day. One way we're going to celebrate that is through communion. Um, We're going to try to do that once a month, for those of you who care about that kind of detail. Uh, We'll try to do that once a month, so we're going to do it a couple weeks from now again with our folks when they start coming here. But I thought it was appropriate that we do it today uh, as a core team, as supporters, as partners in the community, and be here and partake of the body of Jesus together, remembering that this is all because of his success, and we're praying for his success to go forward, and that we just join with him in that. Uh, We're going to remember the body of Jesus that he willingly laid down as a ransom for our sin. We're going to remember together the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, that the wrath of God has been satisfied. So this is what I would say. This is an open table. There's no reservations needed. Uh, Maybe it's been a long time since you've taken communion. Maybe you're used to it in a different sort of liturgy or a different liturgical fashion. Maybe you don't feel deserving But here's the gospel, church. The Father's arms are open to receive you. He loves you. He's for you. He did this for you. (laughs) Come and take it. It's for all of us. That's the gospel. You don't have to do anything because you can't. He already did it. There's nothing to do. Just believe. That's the gospel. And so take a minute, process this, and then feel free to come up. So we want to be simple. We want to be a team. We want to be authentic. We want to be centered on the gospel. And we want, we are, and we want to live out being empowered by the Spirit. I think it's fitting that we end here because it's that 
which carries us and propels us forward. Paul says uh, that the Spirit of God is present and active in the world, that we can expect his prompting, his leading, his healing, his convicting, and so on. Paul says in Romans 8, continuing after that Romans 7 passage, when he says, who will save me from this body of death? He says, Jesus will. And he goes on to say that we're more than conquerors in him. Do you remember this? And all these promises in God. He says, not only did Jesus die on the cross, which we celebrate here, and churches often stop there, but Paul says that the Spirit raised him from the dead, and that the same Spirit that raised him from the dead lives in all of us who call him Lord. That is a dynamic thing about the faith that a lot of churches, I think, kind of miss sometimes. We get so focused on the cross and the body and blood of Jesus that we forget that the Spirit raised him from the dead and now lives in us. I mean, think about that for a minute. Dead body, lifeless, beaten, bloodied, behind a rock, in a tomb, three days and brought back to full life, comes bursting out, and something magnificent happens in all of creation. New creation, I believe, begins in him in that moment. And the Spirit says, not only that will I raise him from the dead, I will also raise your mortal lives from the dead now and at the return of Jesus. He lives in us and tells us that we are sons and daughters of God and confirms that to us over and over again when we encounter the gospel. We believe that the Spirit of God empowers all Christ followers, all Christ followers, every one of us with the authority for godliness and for mission. One of the things that this has meant up until now and will continue to mean is that for us, praying precedes planning. PPP. Praying precedes planning. Like Paul, we believe that the Spirit of God is always energizing us for good works. There's things that he wants us to do. There's things that he's calling us into that God has prepared in advance for us to do but believing that the Spirit will guide us into those, into new initiatives, into new places, guiding us to new people, to deeper and deeper understanding, ultimately, of God's love. The Spirit is always bringing about the gospel in our hearts, which leads to more and more knowledge of what God is calling us to. And that church, the gates of hell, will not prevail against. The Spirit is alive and well in all who call him Lord. He is the successful one. He is victorious and living inside of all of us by his spirit. So what I'd like to do in a a moment of continued empowerment and symbolic empowerment is uh, I want to bring our team forward, our core team. Um, So I'm not going to name you. You know who you are. Core team, please come up front. I think the soundboard will be okay for just a moment. And if you guys could... Could you kind of huddle in right here? Where did my wife leave? Great. Good. Well, her mic's not on anyway. I am going to pray for this crew that God would continue to empower them for life and godliness and mission. If you're comfortable with it and you're not too weirded out by it, I would love for you guys to stand in kind of unity with us in this moment. Um, And... If you want to put your hands up kind of symbolically, like you're praying the Spirit onto our team, that's great. If that's too weird for you and that's not your tradition, that's fine. That's okay. God knows. Um, So I'm just going to pray a a blessing over the team, and then uh, we're going to wrap up, okay? Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for calling us to this place today. I thank you for putting all of this together. I thank you for your spirit raising Jesus from the dead. And I thank you that you put your spirit in all of us when we call you Lord. So today, Jesus, we, we bow the knee again and admit that you are God and we're not. We admit that you're Lord and we're not. And Spirit, I know that you inhabit the hearts of, of this team, but I pray that you would give them boldness, that you would give them courage, that you would give them perseverance, that you would give them hope, that you would give them eyes to see how much the Father loves them, that you would give them the ability to be honest about who they are and their need for the gospel and share that with one another and share that with the world around us. God, would you give them people to talk to? Would you give them divine conversations to to share the gospel? Not about this church plant, but about your kingdom. You're the successful one. Would you embolden them to move out into their community and share you with the world around them? Spirit, would you give us a unity of team that we would be centered on the gospel and constantly remember how humble you were and that we can be humble too because you're the one worthy to be served. God, be with us in the coming weeks as we officially launch, quote-unquote, and start this new thing. Would you guide us to new people? Would you help us love one another well? And would you help us have a lot of fun? Help us exhibit the hope that we have in Jesus. That's why we're doing this. Not for a show, not for performance, not to be perfect, but because you are worthy to be praised and glorified here in Nazareth and in the valley. Be with our team, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to say something to, to my team. As much as I am not a CEO or a president, I accept the role of being lead follower in this group, to be the lead servant in this group. I love you guys deeply, and I, if Jess was here, she'd say the same thing. We love you deeply. There you are. She, she also loves you, um, and, and we're grateful for you, and we're trusting God to do awesome things by his spirit, through us. But again, we're all following on the same team. I'll be the lead follower. That's fine. But the lead servant with you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. I'm going to pray a blessing over you guys, and we are going to be dismissed. God, thanks for, again, this day. Thanks for this crew. We do all of this, Jesus, because we find your tomb empty, just like it was 2,000 years ago. And we know that the spirit raised you from the dead and is living inside of all of us, and we call you Lord, go with us now from this place. Help us live out these values, whether we're part of this church plan or not, making you known, simply Jesus known to the world around us, in our hearts and in our communities. I pray it over you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you.